This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, November 16th, 2016. I'm Caleb Brown. When we evaluate women and other groups as historical actors reducing their role to mere interactions with the state, does them a tremendous disservice. Anthony Comegna, Assistant Editor for Intellectual History at Libertarianism.org, comments. Before we started recording, we were talking about uh, what makes important women in history, important women in history. And for a lot of historians, you noted that it sort of goes back to women's suffrage or agitation for women's suffrage. And uh, if I understand you correctly, you believe that's a pretty unfortunate way to look at uh, the history of important women, especially important libertarian women. Yeah, I mean, really, that point is not limited to women either. Um, Part of the problem with historians is that we so often get tunnel vision into the sources that we forget that the sources themselves are extremely limited, that they come from a very small portion of the population, and that if all we do is look at the written sources, the written record, we really don't capture much about broader society. So many people are left out of the written record. Their experiences might as well not exist. Um, Well, Lysander Spooner famously argued that women should not be allowed to vote because nobody should be allowed to vote. Um, Well, you know, I I think that it's unfortunate that uh, women's history is so often relegated to the battle for suffrage and then after the battle for suffrage uh, because it, it basically erases everything else about women's lives, everything else about what they find important what they value, what they work toward every single day, how their daily actions add up to what we call history, uh, what impact they have on the world aside from when they cast their ballot. Really, it denigrates all of us, though, to, to boil us and our actions down to mere politics. If history is simply one damn political thing after another, it's an incredibly boring, stale, unimportant story. Uh, the vast majority of what makes history important does not happen in politics. Um, and hey, Catherine Williams, one of these Dorite activist women, uh, amateur historian, um, in her book, The Neutral French, there's this amazing, she's writing about the Acadians who were kicked out of Nova Scotia in uh, Canada after the British won the Seven Years' War. So they kick out the French Canadians and they kick them down to Louisiana. And Catherine Williams says, well, how terrible this is. I'm going to write this book to remember their legacy uh, so these people don't get erased from from the historical record. And she has this amazing footnote in there where she says, you know what, if we could – if we could somehow go so far into the future, if we could look at God's book of history, like you know, the book where you open it and you say, all right, I want to see what happened on this day at this exact time in this person's living room. And then the book like, shows you the picture of you know, the events that happened. If you had God's book of history, how many of the wars and the miseries that man has done to, to one another would be the result of some scheming aristocrat or another? Someone at court is, is you know, agitating for their own pockets to be filled, for their own interests to be pursued, and that's how we get public policy. Um, well, you know, so much more uh, uh, of real history comes from the daily lived experience and activities of regular people, uh, especially in the modern period when innovation is so important. 
um, you almost can't predict where change is going to come from simply by looking at, well, who has the power? Um, because political power is not the main source of change. And you know, when we, when we wrap up women's history into their involvement in dictating how the state runs, uh, we too often forget that the state really doesn't run things around here. Uh, individuals do. And unless we start looking at the world f really truly from below and building history up as the everyday actions of individuals, uh, we miss so much about the human experience and can't explain how we got here. Uh, but you know, if women had no agency before they had the vote, um, I'm at a loss to see how the human species has developed so successfully. <laughs> With ha with half our players off the field, so assuming half our players were on the field before uh, suffrage, and that's a pretty safe assumption, what were you know women's roles at least in the in the United States in the period that you've studied in terms of changing how we think about uh, history? Uh, well, historians usually talk about women's uh, role um, in the 19th century, especially uh, in terms of separate spheres. There's a public sphere uh, where the, the men predominate. Um, the men go out into the public. They make, they make the money. They do the work. They involve themselves in politics. They you know, help set the rules for how households are going to interact with each other. Um, they're the public face of the family, and so they're in charge of anything that touches the public sphere of life for their, for their wife and their children. Um, and then there's the private sphere, where, generally speaking, the, the woman holds domain. So she's in charge of home life. Um, she cooks all the meals. She does the cleaning. She does the laundry. She raises the children. She you know, takes care of the pets and whatever else. She's, she's got domain over the household. Um, now, the, the normal way we look at women's history is to say, well, that's terrible. That's an awful imbalance between the two um, that separates men and women into these different classes of beings, right? And I mean, that's true. There's, there's a, an awful lot of truth to that. Um, but what we neglect to see is that within that separate sphere, women still exercised a tremendous amount of power and influence. They built history. Um, they might not have done it through statutes, uh, but they did it through children. Um, Anne Parlin, at the very end of the Door War, after giving her last clam bake, uh, she gave a speech to the New York Shakespeare Hotel. She was the first woman to ever speak at the venue. Um, and she assured her audience that uh, the future uh, held good things for the Dorites, mainly because women raised children. And women were so deeply involved in the suffrage issue in Rhode Island and establishing the principle of universalism and popular sovereignty. Uh, women were so important that she said, well, look, we're going to keep raising children. The aristocrats' ideas are going to be old and crumble and stay stagnant. Meanwhile, we're going to continue raising generations of suffrage youths. And eventually, the libertarian young children will overtake all these old fogies and cast out these old conservative ideas. 
Uh, and the more, the more kids we have, the more we instruct them in the proper Republican virtues, uh, the better our chances to have uh, an improved future for humanity. And uh, you know, Parlin was, was pretty sure of that. Although her and her husband were basically driven out of Rhode Island by you know some public violence and uh, 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 outcry against her and her husband for their involvement in the Dora War, Lewis Parlin, her husband, was a homeopath, and they they ended up settling in New York, uh, where he offered free homeopathy services to people in the uh, poor people in the in New York City. And uh, one paper said that even though the Algerines may succeed in killing 23,000 women in Rhode Island who are engaged heart and hand in this holy cause, the Algerines will find them like dragon's teeth. For every one trampled in the dust, there will come up a thousand. I, th- I like that quote a lot because you can't, it drives home that you can't predict how the world is going to change when change happens on the individual level through individual action. If you funnel your individual activities, uh, both yourself and whatever groups you're involved in, if all of you funnel your individual activities through the vote and through the state, it's all going to come out state the other end. And if you instead decentralize to the maximum all your activities, your thinking, your way of life, your habits, your you know respect or disrespect for institutions, if everything goes through the filter of I'm an individual with my own historical agency, my own capacity to change the world, however small and limited it might be, uh, I think the course of change and the ability of those in power to control it is far more limited. Anthony Camagna is assistant editor for Intellectual History at Libertarianism.org. Subscribe to this podcast at iTunes, Google Play, and with Cato's iOS app. And follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.